Hi, and welcome to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. My name is Katie, and I'm one of your co-hosts. My other co-host is Brittany, and this week we are releasing our episode on the South Korean Oscar-winning movie by Bong Joon-ho, Parasite. Some of you may be wondering why we are not mentioning the current state of affairs in the United States in this episode. Simply put, this episode was recorded a month ago, so we had no idea what was going to transpire in our country, but we do have feelings and thoughts about it. Now, we're not pretending that we know best or our opinion matters, but we also know that some listeners may not know us personally and may want to know what our feelings are on these subjects. So because of that, Brittany and I have recorded a separate mini episode that we will release on the same day as this week's episode. So if you are curious about our thoughts and feelings on the situations, you can listen to that. And if you're not, you can just keep listening to the podcast. As always, stay safe out there and thanks for listening. Let's go for it. Okay. One, Parasite! 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 Yay! This week we're doing Parasite! Hi, hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast, and uh, we're on episode 7, I want to say? I feel like this is episode 7. It's hard to believe that we have recorded that many already, but uh, hopefully this is lucky number 7, so... Also, Katie, I didn't know before uh, you go into the synopsis that uh, this month, we're, this episode probably won't air uh, for a little while, of course, but right now we are recording in May, and May is actually Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, so happy Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, everyone. My friend who is married to a gentleman uh, from Korean Heritage, uh, she actually posted it, so I was like, oh, okay, and I felt like that was kind of nice because we are talking about a South Korean movie today. So uh, if you only really watch movies that are from America, if you're, hopefully you're not like that guy who went crazy about Parasite winning the Oscar this this last year. I don't know. Did you see that video, Brittany? Which one? The one where the guy was like freaking out about Parasite winning the Oscar for best picture. No, was he freaking (gasps) out? Hopefully or? It was such a meme. He was so upset that a foreign film won best picture at the academy awards because it is it is a the first time a foreign language film has ever won the academy award i do think there have been nominees before i know roma was nominated and won best foreign language film the year before and a lot of people thought roma was going to win best picture because it was on everybody's like favorite movie Um, Roma was the best picture last year in my opinion but sorry go on (laughs) I haven't sat down and watched yet so I'm I'm totally down for us doing Roma because I've been like it's been on my mind and then I got distracted that because that's what that's why we have this podcast so we actually watch the movies we mean to watch that's the whole point (laughs) and hopefully you watch them too um and it's genuinely universally a really great movie I don't know anyone who's seen it, whether they're movie snobs or just 
regular people, like the movie going public, everyone has liked this movie. So there was this guy, and I don't remember his name. I didn't even watch the video. I just watched other people comment on it. But this guy got very upset that the Academy uh, decided to give it to a foreign language film, which personally, I still think The Lighthouse got snubbed for Best Picture in a lot of awards. But Parasite is so good. Like, I can't... I don't know how you can not like this movie and not say it's Oscar worthy. It's funny. It's sad. It's dramatic. It's kind of a horror. It's not really a horror movie. I think the, the uh, marketing is very, very, uh, well, it's H- It's not A24 though, is it? I don't think A24 no. distributed it, but yeah. they had the marketing like A24 where they didn't tell you anything. And everyone thought it was a horror movie. And then like the first time I watched it, I was like sitting in my living room. It was like midnight, I think. And I was just like, this is funny. Why is this funny? Why am I laughing at this? But so some people were upset, I guess, that a really good movie won the Academy Award. I was joyous that they won, honestly. I went back and rewatched all of the acceptance speeches at the Academy Awards because Bong Joon-ho, um, he's been making movies for a very long time. Um, the only other one I've seen, and I hope this isn't forever because I have his movies on lists, is The Host. And I watched that. Um, the Host also has one of the actors from this movie in it as well. Uh, Song Kang-ho. So, yeah, Song Kang-ho. Because everything on IMDb is the American way. And in Korea, you have your last name first and your first name second. But uh, Song Kang-ho is the dad in this movie and he was also in the host and it's like a monster movie but it also has this beautiful black comedy and that's what he's kind of known for is black comedy but also like really really uh heartwarming stories about families he's got a lot of like family stuff um in his movies at least from those two so uh yeah so that's bong joon ho has been making movies for a very long time um, he's a very good director. He did direct one English film called Snowpiercer, which is like a sci-fi movie, which yes. I've heard good things. Have you seen Snowpiercer, Brittany? I haven't. I haven't. But Snowpiercer was one of those movies that like before, um, before Parasite, I would say if you heard the name Bong Joon-ho, you were probably thinking of it being synonymous with Snowpiercer just because that was more of a wide release movie, I guess, because it was a, technically like an American film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know uh, his movie, I believe, o- Okja, which is um, mm-hmm. on Netflix. Uh, that movie, all of his movies also has this under- underlying theme of, like, social climate, whether it's, like, social class or whether it's something, some kind of statement about the environment. So he's also one of those very socially conscious directors. There's yes. always that thing in his movies. Yeah, I agree. He he does always have a social commentary, but... He does it, he's very similar to, uh, is it Jennifer Kent who did, yeah, Jennifer Kent who did Nightingale. He he does have social commentary, but he tells the story so well that you don't feel like it's being, like, you're not being taught a lesson. You're just learning as you enjoy the movie, which is what makes him such a good filmmaker. He's not, he and the whole production staff, which is why I think they deserve the Oscar, they didn't go out to make an Oscar bait movie. They went out to just make an entertaining film and they did. Other than Parasite, probably my favorite Best Picture nomination. There was a lot of really great movies that came out last year. It was a great mo- year for movies. Um, but I love Marriage Finally. Story. Yes. 
I love Marriage Story, and Marriage Story was actually released uh, on Netflix, and so I watched it, and I was like, damn, Netflix is really doing us all service here by, <laughs> by releasing well, it. Yeah. They've been so snobbish about Netflix movies in the past. I remember Beasts of, is it Beasts of No Nation? Yeah, Beasts of No Elba Nation. It. Yeah. And it got kind of snubbed, but uh, it got snubbed because it was only on Netflix. So, like... There are rules that are really old-fashioned, and sometimes the Academy just is old and set in their ways, and sometimes they're just, like, they're just, like, stupid. I don't know. But it's just it's just one group of people in the movie industry, and it's an American group, too. So, but I guess they are open to foreign uh, people. That sounds weird, but they're open to people joining from other countries because I think you have to be part of the Academy to be nominated for certain things. But I don't know if it's just maybe only Bong Joon-ho is in the Academy because none of the actors got nominated, which I found surprising because the acting was superb in this movie. But that's the thing. I, I don't know if you realize this. In very strong ensemble films, usually the lead actors don't get nominated. That seems to be a very common thing. That happened, too, with, like, TV shows like Game of Thrones. No one ever got nominated for a lead actor. Everyone got nominated for a supporting actor because it's yeah. an ensemble piece. And I think I think it's a little bit uh, how the production defines it and a little bit how the Academy defines it. But Because um, there's not really... This is definitely an ensemble piece. There are a lot of really, really, really good performances um, in this movie, and pretty much everybody in the movie has been in a lot of stuff, except I think maybe the two younger actors, the two younger siblings, maybe haven't been in too much. I'm not really sure. Uh, Park So Damn, I love her name, by the way. Uh, she, she plays Jessica. Mm -hmm. um, and the guy that plays Kevin. Um, she's gorgeous, <laughs> by the way. I have to point that what? out. That she is so pretty. Like <laughs> I love her. She's my favorite character. I love her hair color in the movie, too, which I don't think... She still, because I've seen, I watched a bunch of interviews with the cast, and she doesn't have her hair like that anymore. But she this really pretty, like, like black, but with these this auburn red hair in the movie, and she's like so pretty. But she's so funny, and she's such a conniving character, and I love her so much. Um, so, uh, but I don't want to spoil what happens. Uh, I guess before we go, I'll probably edit some of this down because we just kept talking about the academy, but. Obviously I guess we have should. very strong opinions on the Academy. <laughs> I, mean, I do. Well, I do. I do too. It's okay. When uh, when we were talking a little bit about Parasite, I know what you're saying. Like, I didn't mean like it was a small movie, but what I will say. So when you compare a movie like Parasite, that is a South Korean film. I think even for people who maybe never even seen South Korean film before and never never would really want to watch a movie that's subtitled, that's an easier movie. Parasite's an easier movie to take in than The Lighthouse is. Oh, definitely. It is definitely more universal. And in fact, when I was reading, I was watching a bunch of uh, interviews with Bong Joon-ho, and he said that I think one of the reasons why everyone is universally happy with this movie, why they connect with this movie, is, and he was kind of joking. He has a really good sense of humor, by the way. Um, also, I love his his interpreter, and I can't remember. I had her name written down. Now I don't remember what her name was. Um, but he has the same interpreter for, like, everything. She was the one that was at the Academy Awards, too, I think. Um, although you don't really get to see her as much because she's always behind him. But whoever his interpreter is, uh, she's really funny. And I, I, it must be a really hard but fun job because he's a funny man. But he was like, 
Yeah, I think that um, that searching for Wi-Fi scene in the very beginning just makes the audience open up their hearts because we've all had to search for the Wi-Fi before. And I was like, oh, yeah, when I was like a poor college student and I didn't have money for the Wi-Fi and I was like trying to go finish my homework somewhere. I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. Um, But I guess before we really get into spoilers, let's quickly like I'm going to quickly just summarize what the movie's about without spoiling anything because I, I would really suggest just go see it. It's yeah. on Hulu right now, as is the host and most of his movies, except for Okja, because Okja was a Netflix mm-hmm. movie. So you can go see Okja, which uh, a couple of the actors in Okja are in this movie too, either as voice actors or like the lady who plays the housekeeper is the voice of Okja in Okja, apparently. And uh, uh, Song Kang Ho. Oh, I keep saying his name wrong. They keep switching their first names and last names on IMDb. And I had it all memorized by how you say it in Korean. Because that's what it is. on a- Song Kang Ho. I had his name right. Uh, I believe he's in Okja as well. He's done five movies with Bong Joon-ho. But anyways. Parasite is a movie. There's two families. The Kims who are destitute. And there's the Park family that are very wealthy. And the Kim family forms a symbiotic relationship with the Park family and something threatens to destroy everybody, basically. Um, And the question is, who is the real parasite here? And uh, I think the name alone made people think it was a horror movie, but it's much more of a black comedy. I would say not as goofy as Shaun of the Dead, but more in that vein where it is dealing with something that could be quite tragic, yeah. but has a lot of comedy. You will like the first half of the movie is very funny and it is almost like a heist movie. In my opinion, like I was getting this heist vibe. Um, and there's a part where this, I don't know if this is ru- This isn't really ruining anything, but it there's, they weaponize peaches, which is probably my favorite sequence of the whole movie or one of my favorite sequences and um basically this family one family is rich one family is poor it is a class struggle movie but it's not they don't make either family evil or bad or anything everybody has their faults and everybody has their strengths like one of the families is very together and they work hard together but they're destitute and the other family the parks are wanting for nothing but they uh, don't have the best family relationship. But they're also not like, they're not like your typical rich bitch family. Like, it's not like Dharma and Greg, where the rich parents have a terrible marriage and the poor parents have a great marriage. It's just like, everybody has their problems. And just because you have money doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. But it does help things out. So, so I liked the universal story, the very universal story. It's kind of like Shakespeare. It's like a kind of basic plot but it takes it in a new direction and it kind of lets you enjoy the movie because you kind of know what's going to happen. The camera work is superb. When they film the um, rich family, all the angles are filmed very tall, very like up on a hill. And then when they film the poor family, everything's like down and low and it's great. It's very like symbolic and metaphorical. It's great. The acting is really natural. It's very believable. It moves fast. It's a fast-moving movie. And I just love that it's a black comedy. What did you like about it, Brittany? 
Oh, God, I love. Uh, so, as you know, I'm a sucker for good writing and I love good scripts. And this is like a top tier script. It is so clever. Um, of course, I wanted to point out, uh, we know Bong Joon-ho is the director. He's also the writer. Uh, Han Jin-won is his co-writer. I'm not quite sure how the script was divvy up, but they they co-wrote it together. So I definitely want to mention Mr. Han Jin-won. Um, it won Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars, and they were actually the first two Asian writers to win a Screenwriting Academy Award. Um, so definitely thought that was worth throwing out. Um, this is one of those rare scripts where... The movie to the to a, just a normal person, I think, watching the movie, you're going to enjoy this movie. I mean, it's just a great movie. But if you're like me and you really want to kind of analyze things, everything in this movie is so damn intentional. And that makes it so freaking awesome to watch. So um, just, you know, going off what you said, I agree with everything you said. But I feel like the script is so good. And that was definitely my favorite thing about the movie. Yeah, I I think the script is amazing. And apparently Bong Joon-ho basically writes all of his movies. So he is one of those directors who writes and directs. But there is some time between all of his movies because, like, any good director that writes and directs, they take the time to really develop it. They don't just, like, pump one out every year. So, like, Jennifer Kent's like that, too. So is Robert Eggers, like... All the people we seem to like, they all like, they do write and direct, which usually I find to be a bad thing. But I think when you really take your time and let it mull over and have people on your side who will tell you what you need to take out and what you need to keep, I think it, it can be fine. And obviously it is for them. It's Oscar winning. Um, the only thing I didn't like is there's one medical thing that's mentioned in the movie and I didn't notice it until the second time I watched it. And I was like, that is not true. And a plot point kind of hinges on it. And I was like, I'll talk about it when we get into spoilers. But I called my mom, the RN, and was like, is this true? And she was like, no, it's not true. So I, <laughs> it's like the only thing that bothered me. And if, if you don't care about medical stuff, if you're not a doctor or you don't have someone in your family who's a medical person like me where you like actually uh want to know if that's true or not or you're just paranoid like me too <laughs> you you probably won't notice but that's the only thing I didn't like was there anything you didn't like Brittany not that I can think of um you know um I usually a lot of the movies unless um oh god why did I just freaking blank on one of the old movies we talk about this is awful Katie I'm so sorry um talking Clark about Nightingale oh Climax yeah. Yeah, so all of our movies except Climax, I think I have watched twice. Uh, so I'm like, you know. I don't blame you about Climax. Climax <laughs> is a hell of a roller coaster. I even told my mom, I was like, I don't know if I would suggest you seeing it. I mean, I got a migraine after watching it. But go ahead. Sorry. Like, no, you're good. So even watching it the second time around, there wasn't anything that like, I don't know, maybe if I watch it a third time, I'll, I'll catch something. But the first two times, I feel like I liked it. I feel like it was just a really solid movie from beginning to end. And there was nothing that I just was like, oh, God, this I don't like this. I just, I don't know, nothing that I could think of. Yeah, that was the only thing that I have a problem with. And I don't want to say it because it does kind of have a plot point tied to it. It's not really that big of a deal. I was just trying to find one thing that made it not perfect. But still, I love this movie. It's great. So I think we're going to officially get into spoilers because I don't want anyone who hasn't seen this movie to have it ruined for them. Because I went almost completely blind into this movie and it was the best way to go into this movie. Because if you have no idea what's coming, 
oh my god the 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 script just takes you to this place where you're just like like you you just your heart's racing and you just don't know what's going to happen next and i think that is why it's such a good movie is because the writing's so good that even though it is a very traditional story the way it moves through that story is just so good and so satisfying i love it okay so we're officially into spoilers okay so we start with the movie i lo- again i love the camera angles in this they just take us to this low window and i don't know if you noticed this but the second time i watched it so the kim family it consists of four people a father a mother a sister and a brother it's a very uh cookie cutter kind of family structure uh key tech is the father chung suk is the mother uh ki jung or jessica as she's known for most of the movie is the daughter and ki Wu or kevin as he's also known in the movie is the son and basically the kim family is a very working class family who it the mom was a, an athlete and she won like a bronze medal for i don't know if it's the olympics or just like she, she has, like, a bronze medal. Like, it's like an Olympic medal, but I don't know if it actually was supposed to be an Olympic medal. That is another thing he has in common with the host, because there's a character in the host who's part of the family that's trying to find their family member that's lost in the situation, who also is, like, a medalist for, like, an Olympic, like, event. And she's also a female. And I was like, did somebody in his family, like, win the Olympics or something? Because he's had it in two movies. And I don't know if that's... I couldn't find anything that said that, but... I found it interesting. Um, so basically, they're very poor, and they can't even afford their Wi-Fi or their phones to be hooked up. And there's a great scene where they're trying to find the Wi-Fi, and they have to go to the bathroom <laughs> to find it. Um, and they're struggling to keep uh, ends meet. But the br- uh, brother has a friend who comes by, and he brings him this rock. And apparently, it is a thing in Korean culture um to have these scholar rocks and there's like 15 different kinds of scholar rocks so it it doesn't really i couldn't say see anything that said what kind of rocks they were it's called a susuk or a viewing stone or a scholar stone and it's like a three thousand year old tradition but basically it's a symbol for wealth and his friend comes by brings him this stone that his grandfather said hey bring it to the kim family because they're struggling it maybe it'll bring them some wealth so he has this big stone. It's kind of a symbolic thing. Like you see it all throughout the movie and it plays a pretty big role in the final part of the movie. Yes. Um, and I was, I was wondering if we could uh, touch upon, um, and you maybe were about to touch upon this, but also of course there, we see their apartment and we, and like you touched upon, like it's not a good situation. They're kind of a very impoverished family, um, but they have a semi a semi-basement dwelling so they're kind of living in this literal almost like apartment below ground so they're literally below ground and um i didn't know if you ran across this uh, kind of research in this movie but i feel like this would have been lost on us as americans um so semi-basement basement apartments were created actually well the actual apartments below these buildings were created to protect against potential attacks from north korea so that's why they were created and then there was like this boom in south korea and it was literally so hard. It was like people were being put out of their homes. There was just no real places to dwell. So the government was like, well, shit, I guess we need to open these semi-basement dwellings. To, so all these people suddenly were living in these basements. And the sucky thing about these basements is like 
they're like you see in the movie there's bugs everywhere and they only get about 30 minutes of natural sunlight um and so i mean those are the type of things that i feel like as americans we're like oh yeah they're living in a crappy situation but no like in in south korea they're living at literally the bottom of the barrel situation so i thought yeah, that was really I, interesting yes it's very symbolic there's also um the fact i love this when they write the original uh like the korean title for the film they write it on almost like you're writing like you know when people like write wash me on a car window that's dirty like it writes on like that like such attention to detail but it is they're like at the very bottom of the apartment in the basement and basically his friend who's about to like go to america or something for a couple months is like hey will you tutor this little rich girl from the park family for me and the the friend is like i'm gonna ask her out when she graduates from high school and so basically he asks the kevin i'm just gonna call him kevin because it's easier for me he he asked kevin which is the name he gives the family when he goes to work for them um he asked kevin to watch his potential girlfriend who's still in high school um to tutor him because he thinks it's the safe bet it's like when you ask your best friend to take your girlfriend out while you're gone you know that's safe it's not safe um so basically apparently it is very important at least he thinks so that kevin have a college degree so his sister who's very smart both of the children are incredibly street smart people but they um aren't they're not educated they don't have the means to go to college and there's this whole struggle in the movie between people that have the means to go to college and can be successful in life and then there's people who are smart enough to get great grades in college and would succeed everyone in this family well the parents the parents are pretty smart too but the kids are incredibly smart um you know they just didn't have the means and the opportunity which kind of sucks um, but they could succeed in the in the real world if they were given the chance. So th- that is definitely a social commentary. But basically, she forges uh, a college degree for him. He goes and interviews at the Park family. And the Park family is a- also a nuclear family. There's a mom, a dad, and two kids. And so there's Dong Ik. Or he also goes by Nathan Park. Because mm-hmm. there's like a poster that says Nathan. And then the mother's and I'm going to I'm going to try to say this correctly but her name is confusing me Eon Guo and yeah. then Dahe is the daughter who's in high school and Da Song is the son who's like he's obsessed with cub scouts and american indians which I thought was a funny little point like just a little cute thing running through the movie he keeps like shooting arrows at the housekeeper and stuff it's hilarious um and they're like a mirror of each other too when you think about mom dad daughter son which is really cool yeah yeah, it's very, like, they are, like, complete mirror of each other. Um, so they start, uh, Kevin starts working for this family. He gives them a fake name. And then the mother is like, oh, like, my son. This was one of my favorite scenes. She shows, she's not very bright. The mom of the rich family, Mrs. Park, is not super bright. But she's, like, sweet, and she really cares about her children. But she's kind of one of those, like, stupid rich wives, like, do you get the feeling, too, that she had, like, some kind of substance abuse issue? Do you get yes, that feeling? I totally wrote that in my notes because she was, like, she, like, <laughs> the first time you see her, she's passed out on the garden table. And she's just, like, completely passed out. And the maid has to, like, 
like clap and wake yeah. up. It's a great scene. And uh, Kevin's just like, uh, what the hell am I getting myself into this? I don't even know. And <laughs> I love it. Um, but basically, she's not very bright, but she hires Kevin almost completely because his friend recommended him and she really liked his friend. So she's showing him her son, Dasung's artwork. And he's like, oh, is that a chimpanzee? And she's like, oh no, it's a self-portrait. And the the comedic timing is so good because he just doesn't miss a beat. And he's just like, oh, of course it is. Yes, it's brilliant, quite brilliant. It's great. It's just like these parents who just think their kids are brilliant even though they're idiots. Um, but uh, Kevin's like, oh, I have a friend of a friend, Jessica. She's an art therapist. So then he gets his sister to be the kid's art therapist. And she's like the best at conning everybody. She's so good. I love Jessica in this movie. She's so good. Um, and then basically they con them into having the dad and the mom work for them as well. The dad becomes the chauffeur. The mom becomes the housekeeper. And they're loving this. They're like getting tons of money. They're all employed. They're just, they're doing a really good job at their jobs. They're all succeeding. Um, but something throws a wrench into it. And uh, it just goes completely off the rails. Um, it's it's great. So I don't know. I guess we'll say what actually happens. Yeah, and I the what I love about this movie is you already have a very compelling movie in the first two ha- acts. You're just like, yeah, this is a good movie. It's like you said earlier. It's almost like a heist movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the third act, and it's like, holy shit, this is bonkers. <laughs> like, what the fuck is happening? I was I was like, what are, what's in the basement? The the worst part is when she so so the housekeeper that oh wait well this is the best part the best part in my opinion not the be- but I mean like my favorite sequence and I've already said this is the weaponized peaches sequence where uh Kevin finds out from the daughter who he starts having an affair with by the way I had to I had to Google correct. <laughs> I had to Google South Korean age of consent because I was really confused because Kevin's like, what, 19 at the old, youngest? He's 19. He's out of high school. Yeah. And they but not, say, he, he's college age, but he's not going to college. And I'm not for sure because, you know, and I think, you know, too, Katie would be a huge anime fan. I'm kind of I'm a little bit more familiar with Japanese uh, culture than I am South Korean yeah. culture. I know in Japan you take your college entrance exams. You can only do it once a year. So, and he, they mentioned he failed his college entrance exams three times. So for me, I would think he would be at least 20. Like, wouldn't that be right? If you graduated well, at 17? Probably, but I was looking, so I looked, <laughs> I was like, I feel like Onision Googling age of consent. I mean, if anyone knows Onision, oh God, oh, the cringe. I'm trying to figure out, is this like a grooming situation? Is it legal for him and the daughter, Dae? to uh be in a relationship because i was like she she seems like she's like 16 17 so not she's in the middle of high school yeah but not out of high school and she still has a couple years to go so also i will say this too they we don't see them having sex we see them hardcore making out a little bit but maybe they're not having sex exactly yeah i don't think they were having sex i think he actually is waiting to sleep with her or i don't know if they're even gonna sleep before i mean i don't want to like to say oh they're definitely gonna sleep as soon as she turns 18 But that is kind of what grooming is. Yeah. So if you just, like, wait for someone to turn the age of consent, technically, I think that's grooming. But 
in Korea, I looked it up because I was just curious because it bothered me watching the movie. I was like, is he like, because I have a lot of sympathy for both families, but I was like, I don't know if he's like grooming children. I don't know if I can have sympathy for him. But basically in Korea, in South Korea, until 2020, so until this year, so when they filmed the movie in 2018, 2019, um, the age of consent was 13. Wow. Because when Japan had, they, they had colonial rule over Korea for a long time, and Japan's age of consent is 13, which I still, it, it's bonkers to me. I think maybe they've raised it. But I know it was 13 for a very long time because a lot of anime shows would have these very young girls in relationships with, with older men. And I was always yes. like, that's weird. But in culturally, it's not. So I don't know. I know what I was like at 13, and I don't think I would have been mature enough to date a 20-year-old. But Agreed. whatever. Yeah. Culture is different, and I'm not trying to judge anybody's culture. But anyways, uh, they raised it to 16 um, in 2020. But basically... From what I can understand, I could be wrong. If you have relatives in South Korea or if you're in South Korea and you're listening to this, please correct me if I'm wrong because I'm just trying to understand it because I was curious. Um, If you're between 16 and 19, it's fine to have sex. It's not statutory rape. But if you are over 19 and the person's under 19, it's statutory rape. And if they're under 13, it's always statutory rape, even if they give consent. So, you know, uh, so not, I don't think illegal Yeah. in when they filmed it, but maybe now it might be vaguely illegal, but I find it interesting that the girl had the same kind of relationship with both men tutoring her. Back to what happens. So to get rid of the housekeeper, the housekeeper, they set this up so beautifully, by the way, the housekeeper has been at that house since before the Park family lived there. Uh, um, she was there when the architect who built it was living there. Like, he built it for himself. And so she knows the house. The mom actually says, oh, she knows the house way better than we know the house. Like, she's who you should ask about everything. Well, while Kevin is uh, tutoring, the daughter says, oh, I wish we could have peaches. And he's like, well, why don't you just have some peaches? And she's like, oh, because the housekeeper is allergic to them. And so we're not allowed to have them. And by the way, that's based on a real thing that happened in Bong Joon-ho's childhood. He had a friend who was allergic to peaches. No one believed them. And they brought a peach out. And he's all he said was, and it was horrific. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. So they just had a really terrible allergic reaction. I don't think they died. But it was like prank gone wrong. Just really wrong. Um, anyways, Jessica, <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful sequence. They have this beautiful, like, uh classical music going and it's like you just see like jessica picking up one from the supermarket and she they get the peach fuzz and they just like throw it at the housekeeper and they do this whole thing where they just they make her start coughing because that's what she does when she has an allergic reaction and then the dad goes to the doctor's office and takes a selfie and he's like oh isn't this the housekeeper to the wife and she's like it is he's like oh i didn't mean to like eavesdrop but um she said she had tuberculosis and then they have this setup where they they show this hot sauce packet on the pizza and it's it's the best scene in the movie because the wife comes up and she's already convinced that this lady has tuberculosis and she shouldn't have hired her in the first place and then 
and he puts the hot sauce in the, on the tissue that she throws away. Like it's perfect timing. It's great. And he's just like he just and the mom like almost faints. It's great. It's a beautiful. It's like a Shakespearean moment of betrayal. It's great. It's a beautiful setup. But the housekeeper comes back. The Park family goes on vacation, and now to their knowledge, none of these four people are related. The Kims have all said they have different names. So they don't know that they're all family, which I thought was stupid of them. I thought they should have at least had the husband and wife be honest. Like, I, I don't think that would have blown their cover if the husband and wife were just like, oh, my wife is a housekeeper. Like, I don't understand why they didn't do that. You know, like, it just put them in a really bad situation for when they eventually will get caught. I was like, why didn't you do this? But maybe they didn't think they would hire a wife. You know, like at a lot of corporations, and so we never, I thought this was a really interesting just little tidbit. So we don't really know what Mr. Park does. We know he's incredibly rich, and we do see when, um, something Mr. tech. Yeah. When Mr. Kim goes to the interview, it says, um, another brick, which I didn't know if it was like a reference to the Pink Floyd song, Another Brick in the Wall. Like if it was like being a clever little, like, oh, just another cog in the machine. But, um, yeah, wouldn't put it past Boon- Bong Joon Ho because he's just that good of a writer. Yeah, but I thought, I, I, I couldn't help but think maybe it's like how we have corporations here in America where it's like, you know, you can't be dating somebody in the same office. Like maybe company, like maybe they thought the family would take a similar kind of, well, we don't want this kind of your wife and husband working together, work wouldn't get done. Right. That's what I kind of thought. Perhaps. And I, I don't remember them saying anything like that. And I've seen it no. twice now, so I don't think I missed anything, no. but. Yeah, no, not saying they said anything like that, but maybe it was that kind of mindset. Perhaps. And yeah. I mean, I get, I kind of get it, but I'm like, it just sets you up. Like if, if they're, real plan was to work for this family forever and make a bunch of money then like eventually the truth is going to come out especially because the boy is dating the daughter from the is dating the park's daughter but i mean it's just it's one of those where like there there are plot holes but the plot holes are of the family's making and it's their weakness so like it's totally fine that there's a plot hole but basically the parts go out of town for the son's birthday they go camping and the whole family decides to which is again i don't know why they decided to do this because the whole time i was thinking they're gonna come back they're gonna come back the kim family decides to like have a little party at the park's house while they're gone for the weekend and the old housekeeper knocks on their door and i'm gonna let Brittany take it from here yeah so of course like katie kind of said um the old housekeeper is allergic to peaches they they have her out of the house and she's been there for years and you even see her like with her little suitcase and it's like a really just freaking sad scene like you feel so bad for her because you know yeah like the kim family are kind of the protagonists of course you you're wanting them to succeed but you're also seeing who's really getting hurt by uh their plans for success so, um, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, but Moon Guan, the housekeeper, she comes back, and uh, I still don't know what happened to the poor woman's face, but it looks like she got her ass beat. I don't know for sure, but it looks like she does, and she's staring into the camera, and of course, they're all just, and even... I even, think it's just the rain. I think it's just the rain. She's just disheveled because she doesn't have a home anymore. Because she hits her face when she's trying to open the door, and then her face is bleeding. Yeah. I don't oh. think it's bleeding before 
she tries to open the door unsuccessfully. In okay, the maybe that's I think she's just all messed up because it's raining and she's like worried about uh, what's in the basement. <laughs> yes. She, Which, if I, you haven't seen the movie yet, don't don't listen anymore. Just go yeah. see it because this is the part where it takes a one eighty turn and it gets off the walls, but it gets great. And I don't want to ruin it for you. Go ahead, Brittany. It, it, sorry. Is, it is on. It is on Hulu. So I mean, if you have Hulu, you can watch it. But she comes back, and I think it's it's like fascinating because of course, um, Mrs. Mrs. Kim answers the video monitor, and she sees her, and she and she even turns to her family, and Kevin goes, this. There's not a plan for this. Like, there's no plan for this. Mm-hmm. And so they're just... Because the whole time Kevin's been like, this is the plan. Part yeah. A. He and his sister concoct this whole thing, and they're very meticulous. And then, all of a sudden, there's no plan. There's a there's a wrench. And so, you know, Mrs. Kim lets her in, and the family's hiding. They're trying to listen. They're trying to eavesdrop, trying to figure out what's, what the hell is going on. And she's like, I left something in the basement. And it's actually, like, the second time I watched it is one of my favorite little moments. And she turns and she's like, do you want to see what I left? And Mrs. Kim's like, no, you're good. And so, like, time has passed. She's sitting on the bench. The whole family, like, was the creepiest part, too. Like, I was, like, convinced <laughs> when I saw it that there was going to be something really terrible in the basement. And it was going to be, like, what? I feel like, oh, like, oh, spoilers for us. When they go in the basement in us. Yeah. And they find, like, all the, like, that part. I was like, oh, no, it's going to be like this. Oh, no. Although I don't remember if I saw, I saw them both the same week. And I can't remember which one I saw first. But the first time I thought it was going to be something horrific in the basement. Yeah. Because you really, you really don't know. You're just like, what fresh hell is this? And so Mrs. Kim goes down there. And Moon Guan literally has her body between, like, the bookcase and the wall. And it's like this image that you're just like what the hell is happening like, you what, like, what's going on i don't understand <laughs> you feel like mrs kim in that moment because you're just like what is going on and she's like help me push this and they get it open and she just runs and you're with the camera following her down this dark alley oh, it's, it's great camera work too yeah you feel like it's almost like when you're in a haunted house like if you love yes. going to haunted houses it feels just like that like you don't know where you're going what's gonna pop out yeah. at you in the corner and that moment, you're kind of, it is scary in a way. Um, and there is a literal fucking human being. <laughs> just hanging out. Just having yeah, a good old time on a cot in a basement yeah. that even the owners of the house didn't know about. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You're just like, what the hell? So turns <laughs> out, uh, the man is Gunsei. He is Mungguan's uh, husband. He has been down in the basement for four years. He's hiding out from loan sharks. Literally, yeah. no one, no one knows that he's down there except for her. Yeah, and which I, apparently the loan shark thing. Sorry, but I mean, I just like. So the only reason I knew about this was because of, thank God, the song Gangnam Style, because the song Gangnam Style is actually a social commentary on the fact that everybody in the Gangnam part of uh, the capital of South Korea, which I'm now blanking on. Um, uh, everybody in that city, Seoul, I'm sorry, it's Seoul, obviously. Sorry, in Seoul, the Gangnam part of Seoul is, like, all these people that have put themselves into tons of debt to look amazing. And that's, that, that whole, like, music video, the reason everybody's, like, rich and dressed to the nines and being idiots is because it's a social commentary on the fact that everybody's, like, maxed out in debt in Korea, apparently. It's It's a huge problem. I don't know if it still is. 
So I thought that was that's another part of his social commentary that he just kind of sneaks in. It's not a huge part of the movie, but he just is like, oh, yeah, like I'm hiding from it's nothing big and mysterious. He's just hiding from loan sharks. So it's like relatable. Yeah, exactly. And I, and it's really to me, it's kind of like was upsetting. Like this is one of those movies that I don't I didn't cry watching it, but talking about it kind of makes me want to cry just at the helplessness. Oh. Like, you know, like when you think about it, but that's what, and she's, so Moongwan is like literally begging Mrs. Kim. She's like, we're, we don't have a home. We don't have anything, please. And, and the whole time it's like her husband's just so set to his faith that he's just like sitting there drinking a juice while she's like literally pouring her heart out on her hands and knees. Like, please just feed him once a week. I'll pay, I'll pay for the food. Just make sure he has food. And this is what made me very mad. So, you know, I feel like most for the most of the movie, I did root for the Kims because, of course, like, who wouldn't want someone to escape from poverty? Like, of course, like, that's the American dream. And obviously, this is a South Korean movie. But as Americans, we could understand, like, why would anyone want to live in a place where there's bugs, where their kids sleep? But yeah. then she, she's just like, no, I'm not doing this for you. Like, I'm going to tell Mr. and Mrs. Park. I'm going to tell Mr. and Mrs. Park. I'm not doing this. Like, and you're just yeah. like, you're both. You're both poor. You both have very bad situations and you don't want to help. And I thought that was interesting too, that rather than these people of a lower social class stick together, that the, she's so ready to turn on her. Like, well, and I think it's a commentary on human beings aren't always going to be a stereotype. A lot of characters will be like, poor equals good and rich equals bad. But that's not reality. Everybody yeah. is, I hate to say this, but many, not to call back to Fifty Shades of Grey, but everybody is, are shades of grey. Nobody is perfectly good or perfectly bad. Everybody has faults. That's what I like about this movie is that no character is perfect. I like the Kims and I like the Parks. Honestly, I like both of them. I think they both have good things about them. Of course, the Kims, because we're seeing most of the stuff from their perspective, we're going to like rationalize with them. We're going to have a kindred kindred spirit with them because they are the main family but i think the parks are perfectly nice people especially for rich people they're not complete assholes they're a little classist they are but they're not terrible people they honestly very much like especially jessica and kevin especially the kids they're very much like almost like they invite them to their kids birthday party they're like come be part of the family come be here like they're really not even the daughter like Kevin asked her like do I even fit in in this world of like all these rich people and she's like of course you do like they're not terrible people it reminds me of people that I've interacted with that are on a higher like wealth yeah. level than me but are nice people yeah. and maybe sometimes they're like I don't shop anywhere but Whole Foods and I don't understand that because I can't shop at Whole Foods every week but they're not but that doesn't mean they're bad you know and I like the subtlety of this movie i feel like if anything the parks are um out of touch maybe i think that maybe the word now mr park and i know we will touch upon this too i feel like yeah. mr park would be the one that is really is more classist uh i think the other members of the family the mom and the children are more out of touch than just being hateful yeah I, um, and i think mr park i don't it seems like he works really hard they're people that seem to work hard for what they have except yeah. for like the wife. Cause I don't, 
I think maybe she was just like that hot cocktail waitress that got Mr. Park's attention or something because she just seems real young and dumb. And every time the husband brings up, but you love your wife, right? Every time Mr. Kim's like, you love your wife, right? He's like, yeah, we'll call it love. And I'm like, yeah, that's the way I felt too. Like, yeah, he it, it's, it's more like lust. And now he's married to her and has children with her. So. Oh, yeah. Also, there's a really weird. Oh, I guess we'll get to this. We'll get to yeah. that scene later. Anyway, so so uh, the housekeeper is begging for them to help her. And, yeah, so housekeeper is literally begging Mrs. Kim on her hands and knees. And she's calling her sister, she, which I guess is like a term of endearment in uh, South Korea. And she's like, yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. Because she's like, sister, please help me. And then, she's like, sis. She's like, don't call me sis. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the, the entire freaking Kim family who's eavesdropping all fall down the stairs. Yeah, They're, like, guys, like. Stay away. Like, I get that they want to know what's going on. And um, but come like, on. They're calling each other like, he's like, oh, dad, I think I hurt my arm. And, you know, obviously, um, the housekeeper gets out her phone. She starts filming everything. And Mrs. Kim's like, mm-hmm. oh, sis. And she's like, don't call me sis, bitch. <laughs> oh, my God. And I was like, oh. Yeah, you know, it's one of those, like, if you get. It's the hubris. It's the hubris yeah. of they got too big for their britches. And she's like, I'm not going to call you sis. I'm not going to help you out. And then the tables just turn and it's great. Yeah. And I mean, it's like a blink of an eye thing too. Like there's, it's happening so fast that, I mean, it's just so, it, the way it's directed, the way it's acted, it's so brilliant. Um, so there's a shuffle. Of course, um, they since they have the film, they have the phone and they have the film. They finally she gets her husband upstairs because she's like, You need some fresh air. And they have the whole Kim family like on the floor, huddled together with their hands up. And they're just like having a grand ass time. They're laying on the couch. She's giving him a back rub. She's like mimicking the North Korean leaders. And he's like, No one mimics the leaders like you do. And it's just like this really oh, like yeah. I don't wanna yeah, moment. I don't wanna anger Kim Jong un, but she makes a really good impersonation of Kim Jong-un with his he's like our mighty leader Kim Jong-un will be missile launching yes and it's, it's just like it is must be a daily thing in South Korea because I always forget like I'm always like oh my god it, it's a threat but I'm like it must be a lot different when you live literally right next door to Kim Jong-un and like you're just like yeah, he might launch a missile I don't know but that's why they have the basement is because people hide so she says she's like oh yeah they built rich people built these basements in case kim jong-un ever decided to actually bomb us the whole thing about the kim family is yes they're poor but they're all very close-knit and they're a really close family and they and they really do everything together which is beautiful they um find a weak spot and they i think i feel like the phone rings first so I think, no, I think what it is, is that they're, um, so the housekeeper and her husband are reminiscing um, when the house was empty and they're listening to the record. Oh and, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So, the, so the, the Kims attack them and start fighting to get the phone because the whole reason they've been able to keep them hostage is because the housekeeper takes a video of them all together in the house and is going to send it to um, the parks. Um, so... 
they like wrestle the phone out of her hand and to get her to stop fighting them they take a peach and they just like i love it they like they take a a bag of peaches and just like drop it all over her and she just starts having like an allergic reaction to it like a really bad one because like before it was just peach fuzz and she was barely like she was coughing really badly and this is like five peaches on her face yeah and jessica's um, really like rubbing one on her oh like, yeah she's like r- it's great it's one it's, it's a beautiful piece of cinema it's not a great thing to do you shouldn't rub allergic things on people's faces that's not a good thing to do but um the parks call and say hey we're on our way home because it's raining like the camping so can you make us this noodle dish which they call it rammed on in the english subtitles but it's actually i think i already said this chapaguri or Jap- chapaguri Cha- no chapaguri which is two kinds of ramen noodles like uh like cheap ramen noodles um mixed together and then they asked, can you put some, like, sirloin on it, like, fancy beef, like, Kobe, I don't think it was Kobe beef, but, like, fancy, like, basically Kobe beef um, in there, too. Because, and I love this, too, because it's just such a little detail, but it's, like, this this cheap, like, meal for the peasants, but they're just putting on the fanciest meat just to make it, like, you know, just parkify it, just richify it. It's great. So, the they wrestle the uh, housekeeper and her husband back down to the basement and the housekeeper almost escapes, but the Park family comes in, and the mom, she doesn't mean to hurt her, but she, like, kicks her down the basement stairs so she doesn't get caught, but she hits her head really hard. Yeah. So, it's not, they're not trying to consciously hurt anybody, but kind of incidentally, the mom accidentally um, hurts the housekeeper uh, fatally, and they don't really know that it's fatal, though. They tie them up. They silence them. Um, there is a really cute, like, nice scene where the dad, Mr. Park, is talking to the housekeeper's husband. And you've seen, like, if you pay attention to the beginning of the movie, you'll see, like, lights flicker. Yeah. And apparently he likes to flicker the lights. I don't know if he says it in Morse code. I think he does say it in Morse yeah. code to thank Mr. Park for letting him stay, even though Mr. Park has no idea that there's yeah. a man living in his basement. Oh, my the God. The basement of his basement. Like, and I'm like, oh, my God. This is, that's one of the most heartbreaking things, because he does this, like, every, and he's telling Mr. Park, like, you know, and there's, like, he goes, I can't remember. He's like, I may have been born in this basement. I may have had my wedding in this basement. And he's like, but, you know, and he's even see the condoms, like, the condoms he's used. He's like, but love will keep me, you comfort and so and he talks about the ritual and he's like literally he's almost out of them by the way too yeah he's yeah he's almost out of them um but he's literally like banging his head to turn on these lights and then mr park goes oh the sensor's messing up again oh i know he's like yeah. oh something's going on. i mean like he has no idea and then i feel so bad for the park family because there's been a man living in the walls not really in the walls but there's been this whole trend in Hollywood of bad movies being like, there's a man in the walls. Like, there was the boy. There yeah. was this movie Shut In that wasn't a boy in the wall movie, but it, they made it sound like it was a man in the wall movie. There's apparently one with Gary Busey as a man in the walls. It's like a whole genre of bad horror movies. 
And we have to talk about, so like while this is going on, it's being juxtapositioned kind of with the scene of Mrs. Kim talking to Mrs. Park. And she she's eating the ramdon, as as our English translators call it. And she yeah. goes, you know, um, she was like, she starts talking about the ghosts in the house that um, their child had saw. And this and is I, the part I had a problem with. But go ahead, because I'll tell you why I had a problem with it. Well, I'm going to open my LaCroix so I can hydrate. This, uh, I, it, the scene just creeped me the hell out because when you think of things as a child, so there, there are certain things I remember as a child that is a whole other story um, that I've seen. I feel like I've seen ghosts in my lifetime when I was a small child. I mean, topic. I did, yeah. but I know this is, this is I'm a not a crazy person. Okay, I promise. I did see at least one real ghost I, from what I remember. Me too. So ghost stories. Woohoo. But yes. so like when they're telling the ghost story, basically they say that it was uh, the son's birthday and he got, he's such a spoiled little brat. He gets up in the middle of the night, devours his cake out of the refrigerator and he saw the husband from the basement because he would sneak up in the middle of the night to get food out of the refrigerator. He saw him come up and he had a seizure. This is the part that bothered me, was, because I called my mom because I thought this sounded weird. She says, you know, when a kid has a seizure, you have 15 minutes to get them to the hospital, or they're dead. Which sets up a part later on in the movie because he has another seizure, and that's where the main conflict that causes the worst part of the ending. The ending's very bad, but, like, not bad, like, it's a good ending uh, dramatically, but it's very bad for all the parties involved. Um, but I was like, that just, I, like, I know I have uh, relatives who have seizure disorders and I have a lot of friends who have had seizures before. If it's an isolated incident, you need to let them finish having their seizure before you take them to the hospital. Like, you don't rush them to the hospital. You do go to the hospital if they've never had one before and it's abnormal. Or if it's like, if it's like someone who has a seizure every couple of years, you should probably take them. But some people have seizures every day. And it's just part of life, you know. But I was like, that's not true. And I called my mom because I was like, maybe I'm overreacting. I'm not a doctor. And she's like, nah, that's not true. Like, it, there's not like a 16-minute window to get someone to the hospital. So I'm Bong Joon-ho, like, come on, dude. I'm glad you brought that up because that actually is something I, I had a friend touch upon that I want to bring up. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up for sure. Yeah, I was just like... Well, that was the only thing that bothered me about the movie was I was like, you don't have to get somebody, like, you don't have to do that. But anyways, but not that big of a deal. It, he, I think he did it for dramatic reason. Like, oh, we only have a short time to get him to the hospital when he has his next seizure. So anyway, so he had a seizure and it like scarred the mom for life. And I like this scene because Mrs. Park may be simple, may have a substance abuse problem. We're not sure. They don't confirm or deny that. Um... But she genuinely cares about her children. She has, like, panic attacks when she worries about them. Like, throughout the whole movie, like, she wants to, like, sit in on Jessica's first uh, art class with her son. And Jessica says, no, you don't need to be in the room. And she's, like, having a panic attack while she's waiting for him. She's, like, wringing her fingers. She's so freaked out. She's, like, she's very fragile nerve-wise. And she puts on this front of, like, I'm tough. But she's really not. Um... So I do feel for her because she's not a bad person. She really does care about her two children. And I think she does, she cares about her husband, but their relationship doesn't seem to be 
as close as the children's relationships are with their individual parents. They definitely have almost an arrangement in their marriage because, yeah, they are sexually attracted to each other. But when she finds out that falsely that the housekeeper has tuberculosis, she's like, don't tell my husband. I don't want him knowing that I hired someone who has TB, like, and who's going to get our whole family sick. And it's like, well, but, like, I mean, you didn't know, so why would he be mad at you? So I feel like maybe they have a weird marriage, like, not a completely loving marriage. Whereas you see the Kim family, there's a part when they're all drinking at the park house when the parks are gone. And the father and the mother start having a fight about something. And they fake fight in front of their kids. And the dad acts like he's going to punch the wife. And the kids are like, what the fuck's going on? And the the wife and him just start laughing hysterically. They're like, oh, we almost had you there. Like, they have these little inside jokes. And they know each other so well inside and out that they can set up this elaborate joke without, like, even having to talk about it. It's it's They have a nice marriage. And I like that. And but... It's even, like, the way, and I'm glad you touched upon that, it's because the Kims, like, it's not just the way, they're filmed in close quarters because, you know, they live in incredibly close quarters, but even in every scene, they're filmed together, they're sitting close to each other, they're standing close to each other, they're near each other. The parks, you don't really see all of them at once, and when you do see them, they're kind of spaced out from each other. Well, and Bong Joon-ho said that, let me see if I can quote this correctly. So, in Korean... The name for family is represented by two Chinese characters that represent eating together. So he purposefully filmed the Kim family eating meals together, being close together, because it means family. Um, And really, there I I thought of Goodfellas, which I finally watched recently, which was very good. Um, Almost every scene where the family's eating... Whether it's the mob family or just the the actual nuclear family that the main character's in... They're always eating because that's what people do. Like you eat with your family. If you're a close family, like there's a whole thing about like everyone should have at least one meal with their family every day. It keeps you safe and it keeps you like together. Um, But the punishment for the Kim family, the worst punishment they could have is to be separated. Yeah. And unfortunately, it doesn't end so good. So basically, the Park family comes back. They have accidentally injured the housekeeper. And they have to sneak out of the house. There's this really weird scene where they're having to hide under a table. And Mr. and Mrs. Park are, like, ha- like uh, having some sexual hanky-panky time on the couch. Okay, can we also talk about, though, what's up? So what's upsetting? So I know you, like, mentioned earlier, like, okay, I know this is digging deep. But I feel like Bong Joon-ho is one of those directors and writers that everything has a meaning so I thought it was interesting because one of course their child is obsessed with Indians and it's not like a Native American culture they keep saying Indians and so you know when we think of Native Americans they have like this very it's a very sad history um, behind those groups of people and it feels novelized like the child is it's just, you know, like, it's it's a fun thing for him. Like, it's not like he cares about the history of the people. It's just like, you know, and they make jokes about, like, oh, we ordered a tent from America. And so, like, it's a yeah. novelty for him. Well, and also, the, like, he's yeah. in the Cub Scouts, and that is a big part of the Cub Scouts. Yeah. So. And not really the Girl Scouts as much. They, they don't really... Girl Scouts are more just Scouts. But, I mean, all Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts kind of have, like, Native American traditions. Like, that's kind of, like where it comes from some of it um also they bring the cub scout thing back 
to the very end of the movie, which I loved. Yes. Great. But the sex scene, um, did you get this too? Because, of course, you know, earlier in the movie, they get the chauffeur fired for making it look like he was having sex in his car. Oh, and yeah. Uh, oh, Jessica leaves her panties in the car. It's great. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, it's probably she was doing it for drugs. Like, you know, they like whisper it. But then when they're sexing, they're literally fantasizing that she's oh, having yeah. sexual. So it's like, it's interesting that the fantasy is being poor. And selling her body for sex. They're not making love. They're uh, there for each other's pleasure and lust. Like they don't like and not and like everything's like, ooh, are you wearing those dirty panties? Do you still have those panties? Like it's very lustful. It's not and not. I'm not saying you can't be in love and not like have foreplay where you talk about dirty panties. Again, no kink shaming. But I yeah. think it's interesting, which we don't see, like, the love life of the Kim parents. But, like, it is weird that they, like, you would think, I don't know, they could have gotten a blanket and had sex under the blanket. You know, I don't know. I feel like there's something to be said there. I don't know if I'm reading too much into it. It is a very, like, graphic scene, though. I mean, yeah. like, I was like, oh, like, at first I was just like, oh, okay, like. Are they gonna? Oh, okay. Like it was a lot of just like he just like sticks his hand down her shirt, and then she just like sticks her hand down his pants, and I'm just like, okay, now, all right. It just comes out of nowhere because the movie hasn't really been sexual at all. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, I mean, but it's it's fine because like they're in their own house. They don't know people are hiding under their coffee table. Yeah. Like they're in their own house, and I love the part where before the Parks get home, the Kims are talking about how. You know, I could be as nice as the Parks because they're like, they're like, well, the Parks are very nice people. And then the mom's like, I could be as nice as Mrs. Park is too if you know I had that money. Money irons out all, all wrinkles in life. Like money just makes everything smooth. Like they acknowledge that they're not perfect, and they're like talking very realistically and not very nicely about the Parks. Then the Parks don't know that the Kims are in the same room as they are, and they're kind of talking about, oh, Mr. Kim kind of smells like like old people, like radishes, like a poor person. And they all kind of smell the same. All these poor people smell the same. Like it's like what the subway is. And the wife's like, I haven't rode a subway in like 30 years. And it's just like, they're not saying this to their face, but it's like the things that you say about people, even people you like. Yeah. Sometimes you say things about people you like that are very judgmental when you know they're not listening. So they didn't try to do something rudely, but they disrespected them all the same yeah and it's very interesting and they finally do escape but i think this sequence is great so they actually built all of the sets and they built the poorer neighborhood inside a water tank because they flood the neighborhood that the kims live in because there's this huge rainstorm and they have to like descend down all these stairs and they finally get to their neighborhood and there's a joke in the beginning where they're like oh, the street exterminator is coming? Leave the windows open because they'll exterminate all the bugs in our apartment. It's a really funny just kind of throwaway line, but they left the window open in their apartment and it's flooded now. And it's just really sad because, and then like the rock is one of the, like they saved the rock or whatever, which is very symbolic to the sun. And then they still don't know, they honestly aren't aware that the housekeeper is dying in the basement. And then this whole sequence starts where they all have to go spend the night in a gym. And they're like, what the fuck are we going to do about the two people in the basement? 
And they're like, you know what, let's just go back. Let's talk to them. Let's see if we can work it out. So they're trying to go back to being normal, like trying to be good people. Like, Let's just talk to them and maybe we can let him live in the basement. And they don't know that the housekeeper is dying. Mrs. Park is like, oh, let's throw uh, the son a birthday party since our camping trip got ruined. And that's a great sequence because they start noticing all the cracks in their relationship. Like Mr. Park is, uh, not Mr. Park, Mr. Kim is just like, like Mrs. Park is just like making all these phone calls about like, oh, darling, come here. Yeah. Oh, you're going to sing at the party. Great. Oh, we're going to have this champagne and blah, blah, blah. And he's just like getting like more and more frustrated with the differences in the social classes. And it just gets worse. She even makes a thing like, oh, you know, I'm, I, it's a blessing that we got rained out because the sky is so beautiful and clear of pollution. And like, what was a minor inconvenience to them literally has destroyed lives. Because they physically live where it didn't matter. It didn't matter that it rained at their house. And when the Parks are living at their house, or the Parks, not the Kims, when are living at the Parks' house, it doesn't matter to them until they get home and they realize their entire home has been flooded. Like, they were playing in the rain before that. Tensions are so high, too, because, of course, their home is basically ruined. And then there's also the people in the basement that they have to think about. So it's like, you know, of course they can't just kind of sit back and relax, enjoy the party, and just get a day's pay. It's like there's all these things going on. And they set up that feeling so well about, like, something's going on in your life that you can't talk about at work. But it's in the back of your mind, and it just colors every situation that you're in at work. So I like how he built that up, where you were just like, it's like if anything bad happens in your life, and you have to go to work in the middle of it, and you're just like, but it doesn't leave your brain. Yeah, and it's like you said, they can't even talk about it with their employers or anything because the employers have no idea that, that, that you know, three-fourths of the family spent the night in a gym. Um, yeah, and, just- and then they have to get clothes from, like, the gym, like, people donating them, which they got. Jessica got a really cute dress, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how she found that adorable dress in, like, the donation file, but good for you, girl. Yeah, they're, they're, she's looking beautiful. But um, they're, they're setting up the party. The guests are starting to come. And, of course, um, Kevin is talking to his high school girlfriend. And like you kind of <laughs> upon earlier, you know, he goes, do, he's having these thoughts. And this whole night, he's holding this stone to his chest. And he's just, you know, he's thinking about the people in the basement. And he goes, do I really belong here? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, so he goes to the basement. And he has this stone. I really think he he's meaning the stone to be a peace offering. Like, you know, you guys are in this oh. poor situation. Yeah. I didn't get, I thought he was going to go there to kill them. Because he's like, the, the dread in his face is just like, I have to do this terrible thing. And see, I thought he was, because, you know, because they were so unfortunate at the beginning, his friend gave him the stone. I thought he was going to give the stone to them because he saw it. And I, th- I thought it was, he was guilt ridden over what happened that like they tied them up and everything oh no i per i mean and it's okay i don't think they've said what you're supposed to think i mean that's a good thing about bong joon ho bong joon ho i'm sorry bong joon ho he does have like it he does he did say it is a commentary on modern capitalist society and like the disparagingness of classes um, but it's more about family, and you can take, like, there's a specific part of the ending that he's like, I mean it to be this way, but I don't think you absolutely have to define it. 
Yeah. Like, he's one of those directors that he's like, I saw it this way, but if you see it another way, it's okay. You know? And he really said, really, the meaning of it is that everybody's a parasite. The poor leech off the rich, but also the rich leech off the poor for, like, labor. Like, the parks don't even drive themselves to work. Like, they don't drive. They don't clean their own house. Like, they're leeching off the poor people, just like the Kims are leeching off them for money. And it's, like, there's, like, a very fine line between coexisting and parasites, but there should be a respectful way for, no matter if you're rich or poor, you should respect every person enough to coexist with them. And that's kind of, like, the line gets crossed and... Yeah, definitely. eating on them. But I definitely thought Kevin was about to go kill him. Like, he had the intention of killing them because he felt guilty about... Because his face just is so serious, and it just, like... He seems like he's like, I have to go do this thing. And and I, what, like, I mean, what is he going to do? Give I feel like there was a gravity of the situation that like maybe he would give him the stone and release him. And like maybe, you know, because there is such a dedication to family, but maybe he was maybe he was thinking like, OK, like after the events that happened, there was no way they were going to be able to c- continuously pull this off. Like, you know, like realistically, I feel like Kevin is kind of the one that is. It's like, yes, he's crafty, and yes, he's smart, but there's just a little bit more, like, I don't want to say humanity in them. I don't mean it like that, but I just feel like there's more of this common, like, there's a deeper goodness that I feel maybe runs for him, if that makes sense. I think there was, and I think this is his turning point. It's very interesting. I don't don't know. I mean, that's how I felt. Like, I felt like he was going down there as a peace offering. Um, I think. I think he was really stupid if that was his peace offering, though, because that's a really good weapon. Like, I I mean, that's why I was like, he's going to go murder them. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was like, oh, Kevin, don't do that. And it was a really bad idea because he ends up dropping the rock just like they all tripped down the stairs before. Yeah. And the other guy gets the upper hand. And he doesn't know that the housekeeper is Debbie, figures it out. And he's like, oh, my God. And then the husband, this is a great sequence. Yeah, it is. It is because what ends up happening, of course, is Kevin goes down there and she's gone. She's she's been gone. She's she's and it's a very sad situation because you see it earlier, um, just minutes before in the film, she's talking to her husband. She knows she's dying and she mentions the mom's name. She's like, get revenge on that bitch. And her husband came and talked to her because his mouth is bound. And it's just a very cruel scene to think about. And once again, the yeah. Kims have no idea. They think they're tied up. They have no idea she's dying. She, they have no idea the hell her husband's having to witness watching his wife die. But um, Kevin goes down there. Um, he almost like creates a, is it, is it called a garrote? Like the thing you put over the head yeah. to, yeah. And so he almost gets him that way. And then Kevin gets up the stairs, but he follows him and he takes the stone. And of course he bashes his head in. Not and, once, but twice. Yeah, just to make sure. Like, the once wasn't enough. He picks up the damn thing and throws it at his head again. Yeah. And like, there's tons of blood. And I was yeah. like, oh, Kevin's dead. Kevin's oh, yeah. dead. That's, that was my sack thought, too. I was like, holy fuck, he just killed him. And so he, the husband goes for the party. And meanwhile, this is another thing that's going on, is that Mr. Kim is telling no mr park is telling mr kim like they have the native american headdresses on and he's like yeah you're gonna do this and we're gonna pretend we're gonna come in with the cake yeah and they have like this great beautiful plan of how this like perfect birthday party is gonna go and of course mr kim is 
just not feeling it after the night he's had. And Mr. Park's like, I want to remind you, I'm paying you. And Yeah, that was the part where I was like, if he only hadn't said that. Yeah. Like, dude, come on. Because, but to in his, in Mr. Park's defense, Mr. Kim keeps bringing up the fact that you'd love your wife though, right? Yeah. And he's just like, I think he doesn't, comp- He maybe he, he does care about his wife, but I don't think he's in love with his wife. And I think he's like, please stop reminding me that I'm not, I don't have this great love with my wife, you know? And it annoys him. And I mean, I'm not, that's not a reason you should hurt somebody. But I think if he just hadn't said that, like, yeah. just shut up, Mr. Kim. Shut I don't know. But also, I get where he's coming from. Yeah, and these men are just, like, on each other's nerves, I think, at this point, too, a little bit. Um, but, of course, Also, Jessica- side note, mm-hmm. I love how the... I'm not the first person to make this observation, but I noticed it. Someone else, I think... I feel like it was the Red Letter Media review of this movie that I saw. As soon as I saw the movie, I went back and watched it. Um, but they were saying how, like, the weather, when Mr. Kim interviews with Mr. Park, like, the first drive they take together... It's beautiful and sunshiny and it's a smooth ride. And then like in the middle of the movie, like when things start getting kind of weird, there's like a truck that almost hits them and it's raining. And then by the time the last like drive he takes with him, it's like rainy and nasty and the weather gets worse and worse as their relationship deteriorates. I thought that was a great choice in directing. Yeah, it's very smart. And I actually didn't recognize that. I know exactly which scenes you're talking about, but I didn't think about that um, being. I don't li- think I would have if I hadn't watched a review where someone said it. And I was like, oh, that's right. And then I watched it the second time. I was like, oh, it's clever. Yeah, but- it's very smart. Um, but the husband, he just like, he's walking through this house. And of course, all these beautiful rich people are outside. They're clapping. They're starting to essentially Having sing. Having the best time. Yeah, everyone's so pretty. Jessica looks so pretty. She's carrying the cake. And here comes Beyonce. And he has blood on his face where he was bashing his head against the lights. And he just comes up and he plunges a damn knife into Jessica's chest. Yeah. And, and then and- she puts the cake in his face. And then everyone starts fighting. And uh, the little boy whose birthday it is starts having another seizure. Yeah. And so the dad, because they set up the 15-minute thing, the dad and the mom are freaking out. They're like, we have to go. But Mr. Kim, because Jessica got stabbed, is, like, trying to, like, keep her from bleeding out. And then Mr. Park's like, come on, you have to drive us. And then he kind of gives up and he realizes what's going on. And so he tosses him the keys. It falls under uh, Gisu, Gise? 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 Yeah. The housekeeper's husband. Who I, I thought he wasn't really, he looked real crazy. Which I love. Like, he looked yeah. like, he looked perfectly normal in the basement, but as soon as, like, he got out in the sun, he kind of reminded me of Gollum. I don't know if it was, because his eyes are really, like, wide and stuff, and he just, he played that part really good. Like, someone who hasn't seen sun in, He's like, four years. He's scary as hell. He is scary. <laughs> he was really scary. But he seemed normal in the basement, and then he just, he, he did a really good job. Um, He and the mom start fighting, and the mom ends up killing him in self-defense yeah. with a with the skewer from the barbecue with like a bunch of which the dogs start to eat the barbecue while he's laying there dead it's great also he he says mr park and mr park's like do i know you and it's like oh yeah oh, oh it's so and it's it's like absolutely sad but just like it's one of my favorite lines in the movie he's like do i know you and he goes respect like oh yeah i guess respect, respect. So, 
Like, and then, so Jessica's, like, bleeding out, and then Mr. Park, when he's talking to the housekeeper's husband, who's, like, dying and screaming respect, is, like, starts smelling him, and it's like, ooh, that smells bad, and it just snaps in Mr. Kim's head, and he just takes the same knife and stabs Mr. Park, just like Jessica got stabbed. And then, like, the actor uh, who plays Mr. Kim was talking about how you do see this moment where his eyes close, where he realizes, like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, or I don't want to do this. But he also said, like, uh, Bong Joon-ho was like, I don't think you really need to, or I don't, it might have been Song. One of them was like, because they were both talking about this part, I don't really think you have to take any meaning from that. He was like, I think it's better left uninterpreted. But I do think, like, he, he doesn't really hate Mr. Park. And in fact... In the epilogue of the movie, he apologizes to Mr. Park, like, you know, Mr. Park uh, does not survive his injuries, but he feels very badly that he killed Mr. Park. He doesn't really hate him. He was just annoyed with him that day. It was just a bunch of stuff going on. And then, like, you see the girl, the daughter, with uh, Kevin on her back. Yeah. So he's still alive, but he's really injured. Um, and I thought Kevin was going to be the one to die, but unfortunately yeah. it's not, uh, well, I mean, it's, I don't want any of them to die, but Jessica is the one that passes away, which is sad because she's so smart. It's like when Marjorie died in, uh, Game of Thrones. I was like, no, not the smart one. Not, no, no, nothing of her own. I mean, kind of her own fault. Cause it was all their fault. Like they shouldn't have been doing what they were doing, but also like, I understand you, you can't really say it's their fault either. It's just a really bad like, no, they shouldn't be con artists. That is illegal, and that is not a good thing to do to somebody. But they were so desperate, you understand their plight. Like, it's yeah. an understandable thing. It's just like, you know, like, as long as you could understand where somebody's coming from, you can, like, be okay with their uh, actions, even if you don't agree with them, you know? Yeah. But it is really sad, especially the part with the rock being the part that hurts uh, Kevin. That's very ironic. But I love the scene. So basically the son and the mom survive, but the dad, Mr. Kim, disappears and nobody knows where he is. Yes. And uh, the son keeps going and looking at the house. And um, for some reason, the mom and son, Mrs. Kim and Kevin, only get probation. Which I was like, that was really nice of them. Like, she killed a man and... Well, it's like I guess it was in self defense. They they say they they mention they don't know. They they call him the homeless man. So they they never find out who Gunsei is. They're like the home. We still don't know the motives of the homeless man. And so maybe they're like, oh, she killed him in self defense, and their their child is dead, and her husband's missing. Maybe that's punishment enough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but basically, the Morse code Cub Scout thing comes back because the dad uh, uses the lights to send a message to the son. And uh, they swit the real estate agent swindle some German people into buying the house. So he's living in the basement. And he's like, I'm, I have to do this. It's my punishment for what I did to our family. I hope you're okay. And the son writes him a letter back. And he's like, one day I will make enough money. I will do this the right way. Which I love it is because it's like, I've learned you can't just con your way into life. Something yeah. bad is going to happen if you you know, lies beget lies, whatever, you know, I can't do that again. I have to 
make money the honorable way. And you just learn a lesson. He grows as a person and he decides that he is going to be a lawful person and he is going to attempt to make enough money to buy the house back so that one day his dad can come up the stairs and be free, which I think is beautiful. And there are two ways to take it. And Bong Joon-ho meant it in the really depressing way that it's futile and he's never going to make enough money. But a couple people, and I, I'm kind of like, that's they, they do show a beautiful scene where he does come out of the basement, but then you find out, like, well, he's still living in their basement apartment with his mom. So probably he's not going to be able to do that. But maybe he is. It is kind of open-ended. It's probably futile, but he could. He could yeah. survive, and he could make that much money. But, you know, probably not. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely in the camp of and I and I I I know you're an optimist, Katie, and I and that's one of my favorite things about you. And I really I really Except wasn't... about Kevin killing people. I really thought that was like I was surprised that you were like Kevin doesn't Kevin's not gonna go kill him. I was like, Well what else is he gonna do? Guys, if you're know, listening Kevin's an idiot. I love you, Kevin, but you're an idiot. Our friends who are listening uh, to this, I hope you weigh in on this and kind of tell us what you were thinking. Because this, you know, me and Katie have different ideas. And I'm curious to see if you think I we know. or if like you guys had something you think Kevin was down there with a completely different reason than maybe even me or Katie would think. Um, yeah. I think the ending of this movie, uh, I, I swear, I think this is going to be talked about in film schools one day, the ending of this movie, oh, because yeah. it mirrors the movie's a mirror in a lot of ways like the families are even mirrors of each other um but the ending is the exact mirror of the opening shot and Mm -hmm. it is it it is it's cultural inducing to think i you know uh fast car by tracy chapman is one of my favorite songs and i love that song and it deals with generational poverty and this is essentially what this movie is touching upon because his parents lived in this situation and he's probably doomed to live his life in this situation with no chance no. Of getting out of it. Like, but I hope not. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying he's, he's going to be, I kind of was like, Oh, it's a little bit of a cop out Bong Joon-ho. Not because like, I liked the ending where the dad comes out of the basement. I was like, Oh, it's, it's a beautiful scene. And like the way they did it. But I think it's more realistic to end it that way. And that's what Bong Joon-ho said. He said, yeah, I could have ended it with that scene and it would have been really happy, but I don't think that's realistic. And I don't think, I mean, I'm not saying he couldn't do it, but I don't think it's going to happen. But I, I do think that, you know, you can take it either way. And I mean, the character, it doesn't end with him, his life. So like he still has many years to live. The father still has many years to live. He or he could get him to escape somehow. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's other things that could be done. Um, but I do think it's a nice ending because it is open ended, but it gives you both endings there. Like you can choose to believe either one. Yeah. But I'm giving you both endings. You choose which one you want to believe in. But he doesn't force it down your throat. It's not like it's depressing. Life is nothing. You can't get out of poverty. It's like maybe you can. But probably don't con your way out of being poor. Like, it's probably not going to end up real good. It's just too many lies, man. Like, and I love the part where, like, in the beginning, when he brings Jessica, which, I mean, her name's not Jessica, but I just, like, calling. They have this great scene where she's, like, Jessica, Illinois, yeah. the cousin. Like, I mean, she, they, of course, I'm going to pick up what they say in English because that's my native tongue. But 
it's just a cute like she they have everything down packed they're like i'm your cousin i'm from illinois which is i love that they think illinois is like this amazing place in like in america because if you've never been to a country which i don't know maybe they have because they're pretty rich they could have gone to america but you don't like illinois and ohio to most people that don't live in the united states or have never been to the midwest it's like the same place most people would say indiana Ohio, Illinois, they're all kind of the same thing. They aren't really, but people would, just like people think Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi are all the same state. They're, they're not. They're very different, but if you don't live in the South. But I love that, like, we probably think, oh, it doesn't matter what city in Korea you're in. It's Korea, but I'm sure Seoul is a whole lot different than the countryside of Korea. And even, like, different neighborhoods are probably completely different, but you don't know that you know, if you've never been to that country. So I like that little touch where they're like, oh, she's from Illinois. She went to school in Illinois. I was like, I mean, it's not like she went to like uh, Juilliard or something. She just went to school in Illinois. Like it's, it's probably like a community college, which I didn't, I didn't look up the college that she went to, but I do. I loved all of that stuff. I loved, I loved Jessica. She was so conniving. I loved where she like had the plane with the panties. Like, the driver keeps asking questions, like, oh, you want me to drive to your house because the driver's suspicious of her? And she's just like, oh, I'm going to nip this in the bud. And she just leaves the panties in there. And I thought oh. it wasn't the driver was suspicious. I thought he wanted to hook up with her. Like, he was like, oh, oh I really? Yeah. I thought she just was like, he's asking too many questions. I thought no, it was. I, I don't think the driver was actually a bad person. I think he he genuinely, like, the housekeeper genuinely cared about the family, too. Yeah. Like, she was still texting the little boy after, like, she got fired. Like, she actually cared about them. I think that's the great thing about this movie is nobody's 100% good or bad. Everybody yeah. has good things and bad things, and that's more true to life, and I think that's why it's interesting. Um, and I do love, I mean, just, I, I even, like, I don't, I don't, I love music and movies, but I don't always pick up on them sometimes when you get really invested in the actual action but I think the music in this, there's so many like sequences where there's just classical music and there's action happening where they're setting stuff up. And that's where like, I love it. It's almost like a heist movie, but like, just like a, a better heist movie. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just really good. And I just, uh, and all like the, everything, everything's great. And they're like rehearsing their lines. It's great. I love it. Um, and then when, since you brought up music, I didn't know this until after the second time watching it and reading up on the movie. So did you know the ending song of the movie is actually sung by the actor who plays Kevin? And it loosely, it loosely translates to 546 years, which is how long Bong Joon-ho calculated it would take Kevin to save up to buy the park house. Oh, I think I did hear something about that, but I didn't realize he was the one that sang it. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Is there anything else we want to talk about in the movie? I'm looking over my notes. I think we've kind of gone over everything. I did I did watch a lot of interviews with Bong Joon-ho and um, the cast. And like I said, most of the cast has worked with him before. But the one that's worked with him the most is uh, Song Kang-ho, who was in The Host. I think he's been in almost every one of his movies. And he is just a really, really good actor. He plays Mr. Kim, and he's just... He's so good. I love him. And he's really good at playing shitty dads who are trying to not be shitty dads, because that's kind of how The Host is. I think Bong Joon-ho is a really good director. I think, hopefully, this opens up doors for people to see more Korean films, because they are really good. And I think a lot of times, we do have this 
you know, YouTuber, uh, offended YouTuber viewpoint, we're like, well, only the best movies are only made in America. And that's not true. There are amazing movies all over the world. I would definitely agree with that. And um, so, yeah, and I think this film is going to open a lot of doors. Um, And I'm really, really excited about that. Um, As a person who loves cinema, I'd be willing to watch any kind of film um, from any country. So I'm really, it's really stoked. Um, I'm really stoked. Uh, I heard someone joke that this was the movie that made the Academy Awards cool again. And so I'm really. It is. now with the now with uh the pandemic going on, I'm I'm really interested to see this going back to kind of the beginning of our conversation. I'm really interested to see how next year's Academy Awards will go. Will Sonic the Hedgehog win Best Picture? Or will, <laughs> <laughs> are, are will movies are will distributions have to release via Netflix and Hulu some of these major movies? So yeah, I mean yeah. that's. That is true, because I was saying, like, there are some good movies that have come out that were, like, made last year. Like, I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but that Emma movie starring Anya Taylor-Joy from um, The The Witch. Witch, The Witch. Uh, She's in a movie, and I, personally, I love Jane Austen movies. I'm a big Jane Austen fan. So, like, you know, I kind of want to see that, but um, I also... It's, but I don't know if it actually got released in theaters. I feel like it didn't get released in theaters. Because when I was editing our witch episode, I'm pretty sure I said that. I could be wrong. But I don't think it got a theatrical release. And it looked good. Um, the Invisible Man, which I haven't seen yet, did make it into theaters for like a couple weeks. And then it, now it's on on demand because um, like they had to close all the theaters. So I'm, I'm curious if they're going to bend their rules this year, too. Um, so, out of ten... What would you rate it, Brittany? Oh, this is definitely a solid, like, nine nine film. I, I'm giving it a ten, because I can't find anything wrong with it. I hate, like, well, maybe 9.5. We'll go 9.5, because everybody has room for growth. But I don't think there's anything wrong with this movie. It's just a perfect movie. Um, on watchability, I definitely give it a five, except for the one brief sex scene. There's nothing super inappropriate in this movie. You know, I think most people could watch it. And gore is, like, I gave it a two because there's not really a lot of gore in this movie. I mean, the last scene's pretty intense, but I don't know. It's I don't know. I guess I would warn people about it. And then, like, acting and directing and visuals and writing, I just give it all, like, five out of five. Just amazing. Um, but what would, I have a name for it. What name did you come up with it for it? Damn it. And I, I forgot to write it down and I lost it. Like, I was oh. like, oh my God, I just had it. I was like, I felt like it was an alliteration thing for me where I was like, P is for peaches. And, but it wasn't Parasite. It was peaches so, and something. Originally, I had rated P for parasitic peaches. But then I was like, no, 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 that's That's too, you know, parasite, parasitic. But I was like, rated W for weaponized peaches. Yeah, that works too. I like that one. Like, now what is go? Oh, I know what it was. It was P is for peaches and philosopher rocks. But that's oh, I like your nice peaches. Yeah, I like your weaponized peaches. The peaches one. are just such a big thing. <laughs> so I like his use of like everyday normalcy, um, and he does. I think he's really good at making actors act naturally. I mean, he probably just does a really good job of casting people, but 
he did say he was like, I am very meticulous about everything. Bong Joon-ho said this, but I'm not a control freak and I actually expect my actors to improvise. So he seems to be like a good director to work with. He's also, by the way, they are making this into a six part HBO series. But the good thing I have heard about that is that it's because I was scared that it was going to be like an Americanization something. But instead, it's almost meant to be a prequel story. So it'll follow like the housekeeper and it'll follow like the original um, building owner, the guy who, the architect. So it's going to follow like prequel stories. Okay, that's better because the only thing I heard was what Bong Joon-ho said, I think at the Oscars. Somebody interviewed on the red carpet and they were like, oh, so you're going to have a six-part miniseries. And he was like, yeah, um, but Adam McKay is doing it. And Adam McKay has produced things like uh, Dead to Me. I don't know if you saw that. I saw the first half of the first season of that on Netflix. Yeah, Linda Cardellini and Christina Applegate are in Dead to Me. And it's like a very darkly comedic uh, TV show. Like, um, So he has produced things like that, but he's also... Will Ferrell's writing partner for like Anchorman and Talladega Nights, which I love those movies, but I'm like, mm, is, if that's his writing style, I don't know if he's writing it or if he's just producing it. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of worried about that. If he's going to write it like Talladega Nights, I hope not. I hope there's no spider monkeys in it. Um, so I'm a little bit worried. Um, but hopefully Bong Joon-ho will be involved. I don't know. It seems like he takes a long pause between movies because he seems to develop, like he started developing this movie in like 2013 and apparently originally it was going to be a play. Like he he started writing a play. Yeah. Which I was like, no wonder everybody is so well like configured because like that's like when you write, I mean, I'm sure you do it when you write a movie, but I feel like when you write a play, at least, to, I mean, maybe it's because I've never written a movie and I've only ever written plays, but you do get a lot more into character development because you're limited to, like, your scenery and your sets, so you have to focus more on character drama than you do focus on, like, an action sequence for most plays. So, you know, I feel like maybe that's why it's such a good character drama because yeah. that's really what this movie is. Um, so what, what, Brittany, it's your turn to pick a movie. Okay. Let's do one. Um, oh, God. I'm kind of leaning towards Fight Club. Um, just because I, it's not completely lighthearted, but I feel like it's a little bit more lighthearted than some of the other movies we've seen. And I also, it, it's, it would kind of be going back in the archives a little bit since it's a, it's a movie that came out in 99. So we're gonna watch Fight Club. Woo! Fight Club uh, for the next episode. Um, I've never seen it. Brittany's seen it before, oh, um, and it is. Go ahead, hey, Brittany. Sorry. First rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. So I guess we don't talk about it. But we're gonna talk about it next week. So. <laughs> and second rule. Um, it has Edward Club. Norton in it. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Yeah, I'm. I'm so excited about Fight Club. Um, I'm excited about being um on all different kinds of apps at this point. So hopefully you guys can listen to us. Um, Katie, I'm so excited because this is going to be Katie's first time watching Fight Club, and um, <laughs> this is like a movie that I literally watched with my dad when I was 11, and I can still like Aww. quote. You can still quote Katie once you see it. There's just certain live dialogue that you'll say it like the characters because you're just like it gets ingrained in your head so fast. 
Well, and I'm not a huge Brad Pitt fan. Like, I don't hate Brad Pitt. I just, I've never been like a Brad Pitt stan, but I, I, I stand for Edward Norton. Like, I've never seen anything with him in it that I've been disappointed. So I'm excited because this was like a really big film for his career. And this is like a cult classic movie at this point. Like, I feel like you'll still talk to young men all the time that when you're like, what's your favorite movie? It will out like fell. Usually Fight Club will always get the list of most men I know. <laughs> and it's a good movie. It's a, it's a good movie. Um, I think there's a lot of people who don't like it for reasons we'll discuss. But I mean, to me, I, I've always found it a fun, solid movie, in my opinion. We're trying to cover more like movies. They have like strange things going on that don't get a lot of press. So I like that we're I like that we talked about Parasite and Fight Club, but I do think I mean probably our next movie is going to be something a little darker. But it's been kind of a shitty time for everybody. So we were trying to do stuff that wasn't going to depress everybody because I still feel bad about making us watch Climax, even though I think I'm glad I watched it. It's yeah. still like a fucking miserable movie. It's so weird. Um, and still gave me a headache. So, anyways, um, <laughs> with that being said, we're gonna stop recording now. Anyways, we're um, we're gonna go. We've been recording for like three hours, so we'll have uh, we had a lot to talk about with Parasite. We didn't yep. even get we did get off topic, but not as off topic as usual. Yes. So uh, I'm sure we'll have like an extra episode or something with this one to be like, yeah, here's what everything else we had to cut out because. Uh, this was a movie that had a lot to talk about, but that's the kind of movies that are good to watch. So um, follow us on Instagram, rate us, like us, subscribe to us if you like what you hear. And if not, tell us what you don't like, because we love feedback. It's okay. We can take it. We're adults. Yeah. Um, Being and, uh, used to feedback. So Yes. And give us movie ideas, because, yeah, we do. We have a long list that we want to go through, but there may be something you know that we haven't heard of yet, or there may, or we want to talk about what you guys want to hear about too. Like yeah. we want people to want to listen to it. Cause I know I watch a lot of reviews because I want to see a movie and maybe I can't see a movie. Like maybe it's not accessible to me. So I will watch that. Or like, I just want to know what's good and what's bad. And uh, you don't have to agree with us. It's totally okay. If you don't agree with uh, all the points that we say about different movies, um, like me and Brittany disagree about stuff. That's fine. Yeah. Art is subjective. Yeah. And it's cathartic. So if you guys like see a movie and my favorite type of movies, uh, my favorite movie recommendations is like, I have friends who are like, I saw this movie and it made me cry. Or I saw this movie and I can't stop th thinking about this scene. And those are the type of movies as a movie lover. I love, like, I want to hear, like your guys' favorite movie moments, if you can give it to us without spoiling too much of the plot, like tell us these type of things because I love I love this connection that we have through this wonderful, beautiful art for sure. Yeah, I think yeah, and movies are just they're, they're fun and they're a good distraction from life. So, um, yeah, let us know what you want us to watch next time, and um, from everybody here, uh, go watch some movies, and we love you guys, and thanks for listening and watching. And thank you, guys. You have a great night. We can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. 
All music used is royalty free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.